The person I am today isn't the person I used to be. And I have to ask myself as I look around at this life that I've created for myself, as I look at the way I spend my time, the way I view the world, my perception, the way I experience emotions, the way I experience parenting, the way I experience being in a relationship. And I have to ask myself, how on earth, Rose, did you get from who you were to who you are? And one of the most integral factors in my recovery is the acceptance that there are things in life that do not require emotion and that formulas work, especially when a formula is given to you by an expert. So today, I wanted to revisit the idea of formulas and talk about what happens when you take a formula and you add in your own variables and how things can go very wrong. I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. So what is a formula? A formula is defined as a fixed pattern that is used to achieve consistent results. Okay, so let me define that again. A formula is defined by a fixed pattern that is used to achieve consistent results. Consistent results. Hmm. That sounds a lot like what we need in recovery, right? Let's take dialectical behavioral therapy, for example. DBT is a very formulaic treatment. It's manualized, meaning that there's a handbook that clinicians can use to reference so that they can execute the treatment in the way that it was designed to be executed. So it talks about how to teach a skill, what analogies to use, what anecdotes to use, how to structure sessions, why sessions should be structured in certain ways. It's formulaic, it's a fixed pattern. And through research, it's been shown to achieve consistent results when it's done the way it was designed to be done. Now, I've talked about DBT in the past, and I've said that when I was going through DBT, it didn't work for me. And why didn't it work for me? Well, because there were things about the world that I wasn't ready to understand and that I didn't understand, so I took a different path. And I coach my clients to take that path. But that doesn't mean that DBT or CBT or ACT or whatever coaching you have found or whatever path it is that you have found will not achieve consistent results for you. It doesn't mean that. Okay, that's very important that you understand that. If you can find a formula that you see evidence of that's been executed well, that achieves consistent results, results that you want to achieve, then following that formula will lead you to where you want to be. Right? One of the things people tell me about DBT is that they don't have any quote-unquote gold standard programs in their area or that the program that they're in isn't gold standard. So what does that mean? 
And maybe it means that the individual who's running that DBT program decided that they wanted to install their own variable into the formula. And so it is not being executed now in the way that it was designed to be executed. Right? Same thing goes for clients who work with me. They hit a roadblock. What's the roadblock? Well, they'll do the things that I'm teaching, but not all of them. And they'll add in other variables, and they don't achieve consistent results. So formulas are incredibly important in life and in recovery. I mean, if you know about DBT a little, let's say you picked up a workbook, you're on a waiting list, you know a little bit about it, enough because you've researched it, because it is some It is the treatment that has been researched as empirically, you know, has empirical evidence and support that is effective. So you probably know about it, right? So what are the formulas of DBT? Okay, we have communication. I need to communicate. So I'm going to use dear man. I need a distress tolerance skill. So I'm going to use tip. How about wise mind accepts, right? So those are all acronyms that provide a formulaic approach to recovery to install new learning in replacement of behaviors that you want to decrease because of being someone who is hypersensitive, overly emotional, hyperbolic, and has a very emotional worldview. So formulas take out the emotion provide consistent results, and give you an executable action plan to get from point A to point B, right? Now, even as I talk about this, I think, gosh, how mind-blowing is that, right? Because there was a time where I did not believe the things that I'm telling you. I didn't understand, so I didn't believe, and I was very quick to dismiss anything that wouldn't resonate with me because if someone told me hey you know what a path exists for you to become go from feeling like everyone's going to leave you no one loves you and you're going to be abandoned you know and it's virtually certain that those things are true but hey I'm going to give you a formula to turn that around I just was not in a position for many many years to be able to believe in that And so as I sit here today, if I would have understood that then in implementation, right, because I could tell other people that I was a clinician, but if I would have understood that for myself back then, I probably would have had success in DBT. I would have listened and I would have followed through on those formulas because they're freeing. Formulas can be very freeing and I know that now, right? I mean, the truth is that most of us are very reactive with our emotions, whether we have diagnoses or not. But not everyone is conscious of that. We, are, we become very conscious of how reactive we are because we have to. Our reactivity separates us from what is socially acceptable, right? Right? The BPD brain separates us because the reactivity is much higher than the reactivity of someone who doesn't have that as a diagnosis. But 
we need to become conscious of why we react the way that we react, whether or not our reactions are appropriate and suitable to the situation, what emotions we have, so that we can bring that information into our conscious awareness. Because we've talked about this before, right, guys? What we are unconscious of often holds power over us. I'll say it again. What we are unconscious of often holds power over us. So we need to be willing, as people on journeys of growth, to accept that formulas will help. That formulas help us see how to get from where we are to where we want to be to achieve consistent results. So find a formula and execute. If you like the work that's done on this podcast, reach out. I'll give you the formula. If you want DBT, find a program that is doing it the way that it is intended to be done. And I hope you can find it. I know, I know you can. I know that there are good clinicians out there, great clinicians out there, and they will help you. Find it. And understand that there is no one path that you have to take. You should take the path that has the formula that you can believe in because you can see the achievable, consistent results. You can see it. Right? So I want you to start to look for formulas in recovery. Because a formula is not emotional. A plus B equals C. That's always going to be the case, right? There's never a time where 2 plus 2 is going to be anything but 4. You and I can agree on that. That is a formula. Now, it's interesting because in the BPD brain, you can say, well, you know what, Rose? 2 plus 2 is 4. Sure. But I don't know because... What if blah, 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 and, 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 but, but, but yesterday, but tomorrow, but, but I don't know, but I'm not like them, but I'm different, but, but, right? So the BPD brain doesn't like formulas at all. It likes chaos. It likes emotion. It likes pain and it thrives off of that. And it will never give you the life of you dream of. Your BPD brain will never give you the life that you dream of. Fact one. Fact two. Emotions will never be facts. They will never be facts. Does that mean that feeling an emotion isn't valid? Not at all. Does it mean that an emotion is not a fact? It absolutely means that. A fact exists in a formula, right? In a truth. Emotions will not be facts. So, in recovery, it's not about your will, right? It's not about your willpower. I'm going to will myself into recovery and I'm going to wake up today. I'm going to do all the things that I need to do in recovery and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it myself and I, and I got this and then one o'clock rolls around and, you know, you no longer have that willpower and you do something that you 
that is not in the recovery plan, that's not in the formula, and then you have shame, and then you have guilt, and then you spiral and spiral and spiral. It's not about your willpower. It's about your surrender to whatever formula or program that you're choosing. Surrendering. A plus B equals C, not A plus B plus whatever I think is right in my fear and my emotions equals C, because that will never work. That's fact three. When you add in your own variables and your own emotional truths, which aren't truths at all, to a formula, it won't work. Right? Look at DBT, the tip skill. Temperature, intensity, right? What if you decide, well, you know, I like this skill, but... I don't really think that part of it's going to work for me, so I'll do all these other things, but not that, right? One of the biggest things people do when they come to me is they say, I tried therapy. It didn't work for me. I want coaching. I want to do it. what you do. And I say, okay, well, what therapy did you try? And they say, well, you know, I just, I feel like all the only tool I have is to distract my mind, distract my mind. Now, I have to have a little more faith in the field to think that it's not just all distracting that your clinician is teaching you, right? But distracting is a very appealing coping skill to someone who has a disorder of avoidance, right? That's what borderline personality disorder is, really. It's avoiding the, the emotion that you're experiencing that's vulnerable and then exploding when that quote-unquote trigger kind of rises, Right? And so that's missing, right? The form, it's missing. It's, oh, well, you're, I'm just distracting and that doesn't work. Or I didn't really learn anything and that doesn't work kind of thing. So understand that, that formulas are important, necessary, imperative in the recovery process. So let's start with two formulas that you can use that I'm going to give to you that I love and I teach my folks about recovery. The first one is the 3A formula, right? So A times 3, awareness, acceptance, and action. Awareness, acceptance, and action. So A times 3 equals recovery foundation. Awareness, acceptance, action. Awareness. So you have to begin with being accurate in the diagnosis that you have, right? Be thorough, be accurate. Now, if you don't want to go that route because you don't want to go to a psychiatrist or you really, you know, you, you look at the symptoms and you're looking at the, the nature of the things that you feel are dysfunctions within you and the, within the way that you behave, awesome. Research, Research, research. Find out everything you can about your mental illness. If you have diagnoses or multiple diagnoses, get a second opinion, get a third opinion. Find out everything you can. Be informed and inform others as best as you can. Find your treatment options. 
you don't have to just choose one. I had an incredibly interesting conversation with a clinician. I have a coaching client who is doing incredibly well, met criteria for coaching. So I don't take anyone for coaching that is actively suicidal or that would require a, a hospitalization. It's, you know, people who are further along a little in their recovery journey, recognizing that they need to take suicide off of the table. And then, you know, recognizing that this is just one of their treatment options. And so this clinician was saying that I had to, how could I ethically treat someone who has borderline personality disorder or the constellation of symptoms and 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 I should tell them that they have to go to therapy and I said okay well here's the thing right ethically I have a right to inform right ethically I have a responsibility excuse me to inform right we have informed consent so I want the individual to know what I offer and what I don't offer and what therapy offers and what it doesn't offer. And I want that individual to be able to make a choice because therapy, coaching, um, you know, any practice that involves wellness is a collaborative effort, right? So my response to this clinician was, well, my client actually has a right to choose whatever path they want to choose. I don't have the right to tell them that they are required to be in therapy unless obviously there are other factors like if they were a danger to themselves or others, right? And so when I think about awareness in this A times three equals recovery foundation, I think you should be informed, right? You should know all about your options of treatment know about coaching, know about the different hospital programs, know about, you know, different clinicians in your area. Learn, 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 be informed. Because when you are very reactive, you are easily open to be manipulated, which is why this clinician wanted me to recommend a sole, solely a course of therapy and a very specific manner for the person that I was coaching. Because they believed that that person wasn't capable of making decisions about their own care for themselves. And that's a little troubling because for some people that is true. When you exist on the line between reality and psychosis, right, the border line, it can be difficult to not be exploited because you're very reactive. So awareness is so key because you need to know as much information as you possibly can and you want to go to good sources. Please do not rely solely on TikTok. Please don't even rely solely on this podcast or someone else's podcast. Gather information from a lot of different sources Look at the research. Find the research. Read research papers. Define the words if you can't understand. Be aware. Be aware of your diagnosis and understand that no one should control what your treatment outcome is unless you are engaging in dangerous behaviors, either a danger to yourself or to others. You can choose your treatment and you should know all of your options before you make a choice. If you don't know your options, ask someone. 
right? Another level of awareness that you need is to be aware of what your limitations are, right? Because at the end of the day, yeah, you have and you're different. You're different. I'm different. Awesome. I embrace my difference and I didn't before. I do now. I embrace it. I know that I have certain limitations, certain quirks. I also know that I have to push myself. I had to or else I wouldn't have achieved recovery. So I had to know what limitations I had to accept and, and accommodate and which limitations I had to push past. Right? Speaking of acceptance, the second A is acceptance. You need to accept that you have a mental illness right now and it separates you from other people, period. That this is your diagnosis. This is not who you are. This is what you are struggling with in the same way as if you came to a doctor and they told you that you had diabetes. You are not diabetes. You are not BPD. And understand that acceptance isn't giving up. It's like, oh, okay, well, I got my diagnosis, so I might as well, well just virtually play out exactly what it says I should do, right? I should definitely join a group of people who also have BPD. And then I should engage in negative behavior within that group. No, no, no. Accepting that you have a diagnosis of a mental illness is nothing like giving up. It's not like surrendering. It actually gives you the power and the ability to work on what you have and to move forward. Right? I'm different. I accept it. That's how I challenge myself. That's how I push myself. That's how I was able to overcome things that I thought were dysfunction that are actually very useful to me. Be gentle with yourself. Accept the fact that you're not going, your recovery is not black and white, right? You're not going to wake up tomorrow and be cured. It doesn't exist. And that you want to strive to be 1% ever, every day, 1% better every day. Except that not everybody is going to be okay with you. Not everyone is going to accept your disability, your current disability. Not everyone is going to accept your recovery process. Not everyone is going to believe you when you say that you're doing better. That was another issue I had faced in this in, in interaction with a clinician is that, you know, my coaching client was doing very well, very well understood morality, understood what they were looking for in a relationship and a partner. Definitely still has a ways to go, but stable and in truth. And when this individual reached out to speak their mind in truth, in a calm way, this individual quickly learned that they had to accept that because of their reactive behavior and socially inappropriate behavior in the past, that they weren't believed. And not only were they not believed, their recovery was attacked. And they were told that they need to have more therapy, more program, more this, more that, right? So you have to accept that there will be times where other people refuse to accept your growth. Another aspect of acceptance is accepting help, accepting support, understanding that you don't know how to do it. 
and that there are people in your life that do love you as evidenced by the fact that they stay and they try and they consistently show up for you and accept their help. And the third A is action. So once you have awareness, you know exactly what your options are. You make a choice about your options. You accept the fact that this is what you have. You accept that there is hope and that there is another way. Accept help from other people. Accept that not everyone is going to be in your corner. But you need to be in your corner. Then you can begin to take action. Get on those waiting lists. Find that coach. Reach out to that clinician. Take action. All of those things provide the basis of recovery, right? Awareness, acceptance, action. I think of who I used to be and who I am today. I didn't have awareness back then. I thought I did. Oh, I thought I did. I didn't have acceptance. I thought I did. And I didn't take any real action steps that were formulaic because I would take an action step. I would do something, one thing, right? Cook one healthy meal. And then I would take another step in a different direction. So I never achieved consistent results because I would take a formula and distort it into what I thought it should be versus what it actually was. And what I thought should be existed in an incredibly emotional state. And so what I thought should be was actually wrong. And instead of changing and taking advice from the people that I had had been taught by, the people who knew better, the people who had had success from truth, I would convince myself that they didn't know anything about me. They don't know what it's like to be me. They don't know what it's like to have BPD. So why should I listen to them? But now, awareness, acceptance, action. I know exactly who I am. I know my limitations, and I don't consider them limitations. I push myself past any discomfort, really, truly. I accept who I am. I accept that I'm different. I accept that there's a podcast out there, listen to people internationally and nationally that tells my life story. I accept that I'm going to meet someone, and they're going to Google me, and they're going to find my podcast. I'm, all, I'm okay with that. I accept that some people are going to be like, ooh, ooh, weird. And some people are going to be like, awesome. And I take action. If I make a mistake or I notice, ooh, you know what? You're veering on a weird path here. What are you doing? I reel myself back. I take action and I move forward. Because that's always going to be my recovery foundation. And now I would consider it actually my life growth foundation awareness acceptance action so write those down in your notebook today and figure out whether or not you have taken your own emotional rationalizations your own emotional quote-unquote truths which are actually lies right because emotions aren't facts and installed it into those words find those definitions write down your formula Look for holes, look for flaws, and figure out what you're willing to do to change. So that's the first formula I want to give you today. The second formula 
goes along with your treatment option. So look, I said it before, A plus B equals C. I had a very funny conversation over the weekend with someone who was struggling and it was, it was great, right? Because the individual is new to coaching, has already tried therapy, tried some things in the past, didn't work, doing coaching, understands that I understand the BPD brain. I went through it. I understand the lies the BPD brain tries to tell. I understand that line. And so is willing to trust me to a point. And so there's a formula for an episode. There's a formula for an episode within DBT. There's a formula for episodes within CBT and ACT and all the CTs and in my coaching. And it requires emotion regulation, right? And it requires a physical state change, just like the tip skill. Because without a physical state change in emotion regulation, you can't take the edge off of that emotion because the emotion goes from zero to 60, right? It's a tsunami wave. That's what I had used as an analogy in the past that someone who has good emotion regulation skills, let's say, they have little waves of emotion. It's like, oh, I'm sad. And then the wave hits the shore. I'm sad. We feel it. We accept it. And we move on. But someone who has an intense emotional reactivity who cannot regulate their emotions has a tsunami-like wave. And then the tsunami-like wave drowns everything around it, right? When it crashes. So we have to take that tsunami-like wave and bring it down. Maybe it's not going to be this sort of sadness and then wave crashes to the shore. Maybe it's going to be more a wave that increases in intensity, kind of like a rough day at the beach and then crashes. Either way, it can't be that tsunami. So you have to change your physical state. Using temperature, using intense exercise, these things work. They do because they're proven biologically. And so that is something that this individual wasn't doing. And I said, well, your BPD, B, BPD brain is silly. Because it's true. I'll say, ha ha. Or texting, ha ha, this is funny. Why? Why aren't you doing that? Because I'm in a spiral. Okay, well, how do we stop the spiral? We have to stop that tsunami. So you did all these other things, but <clears throat> you didn't do the thing. Right? So A plus B equals C. It's not A plus B plus whatever I think is right in my fear and in my anxiety equals C because it will never equal C. If you have intense emotions, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to change your physical state. You have to regulate your emotions. And so your BPD brain will tell you all kinds of silly, hilarious things like that's not going to work for me. I fall out outside the bell curve of normalcy. And so because I do, it's definitely not going to work. Or I tried it in the past when you really didn't, right? You maybe tried it halfway or you didn't match the intensity of your physical state change with the intensity of your emotion. Or maybe you never learned mentalizing. So you would do the emotion regulation skill, but your brain would start again, with the impulsive thoughts as soon as you came out of that cold shower, right? So you were only doing a part of the formula. And so you'll, your BPD brain will be so silly. Well, that's not going to work for me, but that person's still going to leave me. But, 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 but. It's like, okay, well, 
again. Find your formula, the one that you were taught, and do it. A plus B equals C. The more resistant you are to formulas, the more resistant you will be to treatment, the more resistant you will be towards having consistent results. So, formulas, 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 guys. That's how I got from point A to point B. And before I wrap up today, I do want to speak a little bit about how I use formulas now. Part of the reason why I really wanted to talk about formulas is because I was so passionate about formulas when I began in recovery. I have an episode from, I think, season one about doing hard things, right? Like basketball. Basketball in, it has a formula to shoot. And Jay will often teach LJ these formulas. So he'll say, okay, if you're going to shoot a three-point shot, you want to step into your shot, bend your knees, jump, put the ball up through your nose, and your hand ends in the basket. And I'll be like, oh, wow, okay. So every time I go out to shoot, now, not every, I don't make every shot, right? This is because I, I don't always, my body doesn't always make it that way. I'm, I'm a little older, but I will say that I can make, you know, a significant high percentage of three-point basketball shots for someone who never played basketball in her life, who I was not a child athlete. Why? Because every single time I get the ball, I step into the shot, bend my knees, jump, hand up through the nose, hand in the basket, right? Ball up through the nose, hand in the basket. Jump straight up and down. So I remember the cues, I remember the formula because it's successful and I do it, I replicate it. Formulas are also something that I have applied to gardening. I really like to garden. And I have also have formulas when it comes to cooking. I love cooking. So I'll talk about them again in a different episode. But I did want to just say that having this idea and understanding that a formula, A plus B equals C, will lead you to consistent results in whatever treatment or option or choice or recovery path you go with is the most beneficial way to embark on your journey. So for today, use your three times A equals recovery foundation, awareness, acceptance, and action formula, and use your formula... Of A plus B equals C in whatever you're supposed to be doing, whether it be with your coach, your therapist, your clinician. Follow the direction and bring into your mindful awareness when you start installing variables of what you think is correct. Because then you will not achieve consistent results. All right, everybody, stay tuned for a brief Q&A. Hey Rose, uh, I'm Ethan from Oregon, 20 years old, diagnosed uh, BPD about eight months ago for the first time uh, while being in jail because of an episode, uh, because of an episode before I knew what was going on with me and that I had in, uh, a mental illness. Uh, I, I've been, uh, you know, getting everything back on track or trying at least it's hard uh, I've been struggling with the motivation and self-discipline 
but I'm, I'm trying to do better. Uh, and I just want to say that I really appreciate what you do for everyone and your show. And uh, uh, I'm going to keep watching through the whole thing. I'm also going to DBT, starting that very soon. So just wanted to say thank you. I appreciate you. Hey Rose, this is Ethan. I'm from Oregon. Uh, I was just—I just had a question about a favorite person or best friend, uh, whichever way you want to describe it. But uh, so my best friend of ten years recently stopped talking to me because of how I've been behaving and treating him and other people with my BPD. I didn't know for the longest time, for the past year or two, that that's what was causing all of it. You know, I'm not gonna say it was the main thing, but you know, it's a big deal. Uh, but I haven't gotten a chance to starting in DBT to really, uh, you know, work on it yet, but I have been working on it, like, by myself, at home, with your show, stuff like that. I was just wondering if you think that I'm ready to have a f that friend again, if I'm ready to reach out to him and hang out with him again, or if you think I should continue my DBT. I was just wondering what you thought. If you could get back to me. Thank you. Hey, Ethan, thank you so much for reaching out. Being 20 years old and having had adversity, being in jail after an episode, I mean, those things are incredibly painful. So the fact that you found this podcast and you're looking for hope tells me that you're looking for strength through adversity. I appreciate your sending these two voice messages. The second message that you sent is about your best friend and how he stopped talking to you. So a favorite person is a person that someone without an identity will latch on to and assume their identity and kind of put them on a pedestal or, or sort of value them or devalue them and use their identity, right, as part of maybe their own. Really use that person to live through. I call it a favorite host. And I say that because it's like, you're kind of leeching off of the other person. So if your best friend stuck around for 10 years and finally is like, hey, man, I have had enough, you know, maybe that stops you and it makes you think of why they've had enough and what behaviors did you do to contribute to the dissolution of that friendship. And hopefully that's where you're at because you are submitting this question. So your question to me was whether or not you should reach out to this friend because you have this awareness and I have to answer your question with a question. Having borderline personality disorder or disorders of emotional reactivity, emotional dysregulation means that there's a switch in our brain that's broken. It's an empathy switch. And during times of heightened emotion, oftentimes we forget who the people we are in relationship with are, what their character is, why we're friends with them, what a friend is how to be selfless and self-sacrificial in a relationship because that's part of relationship behavior, right? Reciprocity. I do for you, you do for me. I give to you because I care about you genuinely. And unfortunately, if we lack empathy because we, are, we get so emotionally intense that we'll do anything in the moment where we're intense, then we can easily bulldoze over people we're in relationship with. So if you lack empathy and that's true for you and you've, you know, acted in a selfish way in the relationship over the last 10 years and you're new in your recovery process, you have to ask yourself whether or not you want to reach out to the friend to prove something to that person. Hey, I'm better now. Look at me. Right? 
or whether or not you really miss that person because you miss who they are. And if that's the case, you got to do some checks to figure out what truth, what's the truth. Because sometimes people will tell me, oh, yeah, 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 I can't wait. I can't wait to see my person. And then they see their person and their person makes a comment. Maybe something that that individual thinks is benign, but person with BPD will attack. So you want to enter back into relationships, whether it be a 10-year friendship or a romantic relationship, what have you, when you feel remorse for the things that you have done that have been selfish in episodes. And when you want to truly honor and prioritize that friend over your own ego. And when you're ready to understand that friendships require reciprocity. So ask yourself, what do you bring to the table? What is a friendship? First of all, define it. What does it mean to you? What do you bring to the table? What can you share with this person? If this person is your favorite host and you're, you still believe that, you still think that, then my recommendation as you embark on this journey, especially at 20, because everything's brand new, you can choose to be anyone you want to be. Maybe you ought to give yourself a little bit more time. But if you're ready to be humble, to lay down your ego, to disconnect from this individual, to build your own life and your own identity, and you're not just reaching out to show the person all the work that you've done, then absolutely reconnect. And if you choose that, or actually whichever path you choose, be sure to look up empathy, research lack of empathy for yourself, so that you can start learning how to have empathy once you've learned to regulate your emotions. When you get into therapy, you get into your program, be sure to ask your clinician questions so that you can get the most out of your recovery. But remember, you want to enter back into a relationship when you prioritize that other person over your own selfish need to get your identity met, to get to have a savior. Right? All right, Ethan, thank you so much for reaching out. I apologize. It was a little late on your first message, but I'm here and uh, looking forward to catching up with you again. So if you want to submit another question, please feel free to do that. If you're out there and you want to submit a question, go ahead and do that on that Anchor app. And I'll see you next week for another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Okay, thanks for listening. That was From Borderline to Beautiful, a production of Skeeter's Strength Mindset Coaching Systems. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at skeetersstrength.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Cast or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from last episode, so let's hear them. 
I'd love to hear whatever questions you have too. Just download that Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. So, if you like this podcast, not only can you download that Anchor app, but you can help us get this message out to so many more people. Head over to Apple and offer us that five-star rating and let me know what you're thinking about some of our material. The more stars and higher rating we get, the more people will have access to From Borderline to Beautiful, hope and help for individuals with BPD. BPD.